You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. What we're reading today, Luke 21, is also in Mark 13 and Matthew 24. Jesus speaks about the destruction of the temple uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem, that which would sadly um, take place. Uh, but before we begin there, um, which we will, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Charlie Bucket uh, to begin. Uh, I don't know, uh, over the holidays, I was with um, the family and we were watching um, Lily Wonka came on, and I, I, I won't poll you on your preference, Gene Wilder um, or Johnny Depp, uh, which I mean, I have my strong convictions uh, on this one. I appreciate both, but uh, I definitely have a very strong conviction about which is which is the better of the two. But it was uh, it was the Johnny Depp one that was on, and we were watching some of that together, and um, we didn't see the whole thing. But I was reminded of the uh, Gene Wilder, maybe I'm tipping my hand, the final scene um, uh, of the Willy Wonka uh, with Gene Wilder. And if you remember, um, at the end, this important cultural remembrance, uh, of course, if you remember, uh, everyone had broken the rules uh, along the way. None were going to win um, the prize, but of course, uh, Charlie and Grandpa Joe, we, we, we like, and so we're rooting for them. And uh, at the end, if you can remember, Gene Wilder is is disgusted, uh, is dismissing them, won't even won't even look at, at Charlie. And you remember uh, you remember what happens. Uh, the everlasting gobstopper. You remember the theme, of course, Slughorn uh, is coming up to all the children beforehand, offering them, of course, um, fortune if they give him the everlasting gobstopper. Uh, and rather than walking out with it, Charlie walks up to the desk of Willy Wonka, if you remember, and he places, uh, says Mr. Wonka, and he places uh, the gobstopper down uh, on his desk and begins um, to walk away. And if you remember, uh, Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder is there, and his hand begins to drip over, and as he uh, takes it, do you remember, you remember what he says? So shines a good deed in a weary world. Uh, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And it's actually, if any of you want to put your English flex on this morning, do you remember which uh, of Shakespeare's plays that comes from? I know, so it doesn't bug you all day. The Merchant of Venice uh, is, is actually uh, so Portia and the Merchant of Venice. Uh, so, so no one brags. Uh, I'll just go ahead and jump in real quick there. And actually, now if you remember, it's actually um, it, it's, it's it's this. Um, how far that little candle throws his beams, so, so shines a good deed in a naughty world. Uh, is uh, the actual one uh, from the Merchant of Venice, and it's interesting because that. Uh, that play deals with um, a, a debt that is taken out that, that can't be uh, that can't be repaid, uh, and, and much of it um, is a uh, is an ode to mercy uh, and the need uh, the need for mercy in, in the midst of, of debt. But if you remember uh, with Charlie, so shines a good deed in the weary world, and, and he turns around and says, Charlie. You Dear wonderful boy, you've won. Uh, you've you you've won, and there's this incredible um, turn which takes place from 
uh, from, from guilt uh, and from judgment and from despair to actually um, Charlie not only receiving the blessing but, but the kingdom. Uh, the, the kingdom, uh, it's a chocolate kingdom, uh, but, uh, but, but receiving the kingdom, Willy Wonka's entire kingdom, uh, this, this uh, incredible shift takes place. And, and I share that with you because we see that, and we're going to get to that in the lesson this morning, but it begins by Jesus talking about, sadly, that which will take place, the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which indeed took place. And if you remember in Mark's gospel, as they are walking out, the disciples marvel um, at the temple, and, and understandably, uh, it was magnificent. I, I've ne never seen the, the, the ruins and the remains in person, but the actual um, temple, if, if, uh, it, it was, uh, it really portrayed Herod's uh, obsession for grandeur. Uh, it had been, they'd been building it for 50 years um, during the time of Jesus. They had been working on the temple for 50 years. The retaining wall the retaining wall of the temple was 15 stories high. Uh, and not only was the retaining wall, we're just talking about the retaining wall. We haven't even gotten to the temple yet. 15 um, stories high. Uh, and not only was it 15 stories high, um, but some of the stones that have been found there are 42 feet long, 11 feet high, and 14 feet deep. Uh, so that's over that's over a million pounds. Just one, uh, just one stone uh, in the midst of that retaining wall. And not only that, it was actually clad uh, in gold and silver and jewels, so the so the light would refract. And they had the esplanade had been enclosed. It was nearly a mile um, in circumference, uh, and it was enough um, to encompass. Uh, and the commentary I read. 12 football fields, uh, enough for multiple overtimes uh, and everything. So enough to encompass 12 um, football fields, um, we're told. And not only that, there were rows uh, of columns, three rows of columns with Corinthian capitals. Uh, and the, the columns um, were so wide that it would take three men linking arms um, to uh, encompass uh, the circumference of, of one of those columns. It was, it was a magnificent um, temple. Uh, certainly um, to, to industry and engineering and, and architecture and, and aspiration and uh, aesthetic and, and, and all of it. Uh, and so obviously it's a tremendous surprise when Jesus says that this will be destroyed uh, and not one stone um, will be left on another. Uh, and, and I share all that with you because that's some rather important context uh, as we begin to approach this. And of course they ask him, what will the signs be? What what do we need to know? What do we need um, to look for? And Jesus says, um, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Well, um, I don't know that that's especially helpful, is it? Um, if you want to know what the sign sounds, it sounds like the news, um, doesn't it? It sounds like um, today. Fear and, uh, and foreboding and, and people uh, in distress and nations fighting against nations uh, and, and people claiming to be the deliverer, uh, to be the one who has the answer, to be the one um, to lead the way. All of this sounds uh, entirely familiar, and I don't know about you, but in the past when I've reflected on this, I've found it, uh, it if, if not uh, if not unsettling, um, at the very least confusing. If not unsettling, at the very least confusing. But what I'd love to offer to you this morning uh, is the incredible 
of good news which is here within this. In the midst of all which is um, spectacular uh, and the brooding and the foreboding uh, and the fear and all that is taking place, listen to what is said in verse 28. I'll back up to 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And I don't know about you, but uh, in, in my mind, I, I imagine um, God leading the people of Israel out of their out of their bondage with pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire um, by night. I imagine God speaking um, out of the cloud as he so often did uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, but we hear that they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And listen to this. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. What's offered to you and to me as, as Christians is that uh, we hear that God, yes, indeed, Jesus will come again. That God will wonderfully, graciously, thankfully uh, bring a conclusion um, to history. Uh, that God will fulfill all of God's purposes. And that you and I are invited and enabled to greet that day with joy rather than fear. We're able to greet that day with joy rather than fear. And interestingly, the, the word um, which is used here, which talks about straighten up um, and raise your hands, is actually a word which is used one other time in Luke's Gospel. Uh, it's used one other time in chapter 13, and it is in reference to a woman that Jesus heals who is bent double. Uh, this woman is, is bent double, and Jesus speaks the words uh, of healing and of restoration, and, and she stands. And a keptai is, is the word again. It's used once uh, in Luke 13, and it's used here. And what we see is that Jesus' command for us to straighten up, Jesus' command um, to raise our heads because our redemption um, is drawing near. And one of the things that we see throughout the witness of the Bible, uh, and certainly we see with Jesus, if, if Jesus commands us to do something, he also necessarily enables us to do it. Uh, it's, it's not accomplished um, by our own power. Uh, anything um, that God commands, that which Jesus commands, God enables um, to be fulfilled, not by our power, um, but by God's power. And, and surely um, there are numerous places in, in all of our lives where we feel um, uh, overwhelmed, uh, where we feel a uh, bent double where we feel unburdened. Uh, and what we have before us this morning is this promise of God who will come again to judge the living and the dead, yes, but we see the nature uh, and the character of that judge, uh, a God who comes to redeem his people, a God who comes um, to give restoration, to deliver us from the weight of sin and of brokenness and to enable us um, to stand, to enable us um, to lift up our heads to bring that change, that amendment of life, to bring um, the hope to you and to me, not by our power, um, but by His. Uh, a final, uh, a final story. I, one of my friends in, in seminary, and I remember actually, uh, I thought this was particularly brave. Um, he left midway through seminary, um, and he left not because of a crisis of, of faith. He, he said, I still love Jesus. I still believe in Jesus. I just don't think I'm called to ordain ministry. And I, I, I have tremendous respect for that because 
you know, once, once you're halfway right, you don't want to just kind of like, oh, I'll just kind of be quiet and go ahead and, and, and finish it up. And, but, but he left. But I remember one time we were in <coughs> class together in homiletics uh, preaching. Uh, they, uh, one of the things that we do, obviously, before they set us loose on you, um, is you practice all of these things, homiletics, preaching being one of them. And of course, you're in a classroom, which is really reverent. Uh, it's a great atmosphere for, for preaching. But there you are. You're in this classroom, you're preaching, and it was uh, it was my buddy Vernon's uh, opportunity to preach, and he was telling the story. And, and again, great guy, wonderful guy, um, the, the farthest thing from a mystic. He would be more like the kind of the cheerful um, president of the Young Republicans Club. I would have been more how I would describe him. Uh, he was from Texas. I mean, not that all Texans are Republicans, but I mean, that was just, that was kind of, you know, Vernon. That was, that was who he was. And he was telling the story about this class he took, and it was just like any other school, seminary has electives, and sometimes you have to take the elective which is available. And he was one, it was uh, sort of uh, prayer and prayer and reflection, which again, just was not Vernon's particular um, forte, but that's the, that's the class, and it was his turn to lead the class. He's relating the story about uh, their gathering together, and uh, the class is praying, and again, he's not particularly uh, optimistic about this. He just wants to get it over with. Um, I just want to get my passing grade and, and I want to move on. Uh, no big expectations that anything would happen. And he's, and he's telling this story. He said as they're gathered together and they're praying and they're uh, envisioning being on the beach. Uh, and I can remember, I can see him as he's telling us this story. And as he's telling the story, he starts to get choked up. And again, this he's not, not a choked up kind of guy, but I mean, literally, uh, it was he started to tear up. It was difficult uh, for him to speak. And he's relating this vision. And he said there was this man on the beach and began to make his way toward him. And the sun was behind him, and so he saw his silhouette and not his face. But as he drew near, uh, he knew who that man was. It was Jesus who was drawing closer to him in the midst of this time of prayer. And, and he said as he approached me, he said he put his head in his hands and he began to weep. And he's telling us this, and it, uh, it still moves me to think about that. He's telling us of this experience. As Jesus drew closer and, and closer to him, uh, he, he buried his head uh, in his hands, and, and he began to weep. Um, and he says, as Jesus approached him, the words which he spoke to him, it's, it's okay. Uh, I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you. So simple, so plain, so clear, and, and simultaneously so powerful, so life-giving. The words uh, and the power which we long to hear spoken to you and to me, and, and words which are not based um, on our merits and our accomplishments, but the mercy and the character of our God um, who comes to disposes himself toward us in grace uh, and in mercy, that we might be people who are forgiven, that we might be people who are restored, that we might look to his coming again, not with fear and with trembling, but with great joy, knowing that he comes to be our redeemer, knowing that he comes to be our deliverer, knowing that when he comes, we're clothed not in our accomplishments, but in his, and the accomplishments of Jesus' obedience of his death and of his resurrection. He comes um, to be our redeemer. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that our reality, because of you, is one of grace, is one of hope, is one of security, is one of life given to us in Jesus, your Son. Draw 
us um, to you, <laughs> to enable us to find that we're drawn to you um, because of who you are, a God who comes to shepherd us, a God who comes to save us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.